Vacation time is at hand. Many of us will go on vacation during the summer months. That is the reality of summer. Some of you have just come home and others are about to go away. Are you going anywhere? Well, we are too. Dawn, Kara, and I are about to go on a three-week vacation. We have a small window uh, when Kara finishes up her um, college summer class as well as her intense water polo training. And so we're going to take advantage of that opportunity to um, go away before she starts back to school again. Part of that time, we're going to be spending some time with my dad and my stepmom, who are in very bad health, as many of you know, who have relocated to the Nashville, Tennessee area. The question I want to ask you is, do you take road trips or destination vacations? Uh, It's a good question. That's something that our family has pondered on over these last couple weeks. Are we going to fly to Nashville, Tennessee, or are we going to travel across the United States and enjoy uh, the beauty before we get there? I will tell you that one of us has uh, uh, pushed for the road trip, and two others uh, voted for the destination vacation. And I want you to know, I won't tell you which is which, but I lost two to one. And Dawn's clapping in the back. (laughs) Some people love to go on road trips. Uh, They enjoy driving the highways, going from one location to another, taking in the sights and making the journey as much a part of the experience as the destination. And other people just like to get to their destination. I had the privilege growing up, my dad was a rural letter carrier and he was involved in state level conventions as well as uh, national conventions. And as a young child, I traveled with him across the United States and was able to see uh, the vast majority of all the states. And so I've seen some of these places from here across the country, but the other two who didn't, I thought would want to see them. But never mind, that's okay. (laughs) But today's gospel text marks the beginning of Jesus's road trip to Jerusalem. If one has any doubt that ordinary time is a serious time of talking about discipleship and following Jesus Christ, all we have to do is to look at the last two weeks gospel readings, and it is very clear that there is a cost and following Jesus Christ, being a disciple. The Galilean ministry comes to a close, and now the focus of Jesus' mission is on the move, as the Scripture says, Jesus set His face toward Jerusalem. Now this echoes the song of the suffering servant that's found in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. So Luke keeps reminding his readers that Jesus is purposefully headed towards a destination, Nevertheless, here in Luke, we know that Jesus is following what the Father is doing. So the journey itself is a critical and crucial time. It's a time for teaching his disciples the message of the kingdom of God, much what like ordinary time is on the liturgical church calendar. As we've discussed, Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem, and the direct way from Galilee to Jerusalem led through Samaria. Um, and but most of the Jews avoided it. He understands full well that he is entering into hostile territory. So Jesus purposely injects himself into a historically messy situation. And he sent his disciples ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare and pave the way for his arrival. 
So there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had broken with traditional Judaism by making the focus of their faith at the shrine of Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion. And the Samaritans rejected rejected the authority of Jerusalem, the temple, and its uh, priestly hierarchies. So the Samaritans were called half-breeds because they intermarried with the pagan nations and were seen as unfaithful to the nation of Israel. In the eyes of the Jerusalem Jews, the Samaritans were not quite Gentiles, but they certainly stood outside God's favored status. It was a family feud. Does anyone here know what it's like to be a part of a family feud? So Jesus and the disciples experience rejection from the Samaritans. And Luke clearly states the reason for this rejection, and it is because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now that's enough to tick them off. So how do we like it when people criticize or reject us? What does it feel like? I know this all too well as I carried a spirit of rejection for the first 29 years of my life. And through some very intense Christian counseling and submission to working on it, God brought much healing into my life. And from time to time, it tries to rise up within me until I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, remembering the difference between the lie and the truth. So the person who first said sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, either lived as a hermit, or they lived isolated away from people, or they were an absolute liar. (laughs) Words can, and they do hurt. Studies have shown how lasting an impression, how a lifetime and impact words can have on children. Children who receive constant criticisms about their looks or their brains or their abilities, they grow up believing the words that have been spoken to them. Or at least they're echoing in their minds something that they're battling with on a continual basis. Some of us here this morning are spending our adulthood with the sound of dummy or fatso or geek or airhead or loser. You will not amount to anything or you'll never measure up to your brother or your sister. And I could keep using all kinds of examples. And these things ring. They're echoes in our hearts and our minds and our ears. So words can stunt spirits. Words can break hearts. Words spoken from our tongues can cut each other's throats. I'd like to read just one verse. There's other verses I could look at, but James 3, verses 3 through 6, it says this. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now that's some strong words. I think we all agree that this includes our actions and our reactions as well. So what can we say to those who use words to wound us? How should we respond to unnecessary and hurtful hurtful criticism and rejection? And not only that, but what can we learn from that if we have the tendency to, to do that toward other people? When someone puts his or her hands on our throat, what do we do? 
Should we take the criticism to heart? Should we weigh its content? Should we let it roll off our back? Should we fire back with hurtful words as well? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is the most tempting when people lash out against us. After all, we do live in a fire back culture. Just look at our news channels or read Facebook or the newspaper and now we enter, or, or Twitter. And now we enter into another political season. And I try hard not to be cynical and instead dis- discipline myself to pray. Real bombs and bullets are being fired off around the world. However, in the war for power and influence, it is the constant lobbying of critical attitudes and word grenades that keep our own backyards blasted and barren of hope. When we allow the words or actions of critics and rejectors destroy us, we are allowing them to control us. We're giving them power to define us. We're giving them too much power over us. And please listen to this next uh, thing I'm going to say. Our self-worth is not defined by the actions and words of other people. I'm going to say it one more time. Our self-worth is not defined by the actions and words of other people. I think many of us know that. We could probably even quote that. But there's a difference between knowing it and quoting it and having it and believing it down in our heart. We learn what we can through any and all experiences in life and taking responsibility for the things that we did wrong and refusing to allow the actions and words of others to dictate our life. And I want to just, uh, just focus on just that one, uh, one of the things I just said there. In all circumstances in life, we do need to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal what's in our heart and to show us the things that we did wrong in that situation and take ownership for that. Take responsibility for that, to confess it, to repent, and where it's impacted other people, to ask for forgiveness. Because the disciples and Jesus were rejected, James and John said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Eugene Peterson says, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? Well, I know there's one or two of us have thought things like that. But nonetheless, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. So James and John mistakenly believe that Jesus' presence is a green light for making critics and rejectors into crispy critters. Jesus rebukes them and they're eager to offer to fight fire with fire. So when we are going uh, through situations like that, what can we learn? When are Christians or anyone for that matter, going to enter into public sphere of debate and learn how to communicate clearly and humbly without making a donkey out of themselves. And that's not the word I wanted to put there. The kingdom that Jesus is gradually revealing will not be brought about by the world's ways of power and might. Those who criticized Jesus, who hesitated to follow Him because they had other pressing duties, other responsibilities, other relationships. They missed His message and they missed His way of life. The kingdom that Jesus preached, the path of discipleship that Jesus offered was not rooted in worldly ways. The kingdom was a new way and the kingdom could only be found by following the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. And we followed the ways and the desires and the lifestyle of our King, who is King Jesus. 
When rejected by the Samaritans, Jesus refuses to give out punishment. Instead, he simply keeps on moving. 1 Peter 2.23 is something that we can take to heart. It says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Wow. If we as Christians can learn from that, and react like that, or respond like that. Think of the kind of world that we would live in. Some of you might have heard this story before. I know that I've shared it a couple times here at All Saints, but it's worth sharing again. Once upon a time, there was a a poor mule that fell into a dead well that was about 20 feet deep, and the farmer saw from a distance what had happened to his mule But by the time he got to the well, it was dark and he had no uh, flashlight. So the farmer listened for movement in the well and he called out to his mule and he got no response. So he presumed that the animal was dead. So what do you do with a dead mule in a dead well? Well, of course, you bury it. So there was a pile of dirt nearby, so the farmer started throwing dirt into the well. And even though the mule was initially shocked by what happened, it eventually came around and it was okay. And the farmer thought that he had filled the well with dirt almost to the top, but in the morning light, there appeared the old mule at the top of the well on solid dirt. So the moral of the story is this. When we fall into a hole and we have dirt thrown on top of us, we need to shake off the dirt, keep standing on every new pile thrown on on us, and we will eventually reach the top and get out of the hole. There's something to think about, something to learn from, and it applies to every one of us. We do this through the practice of spiritual disciplines like prayer, the Word of God, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit filling us, the confession and repentance of sin, worship, the sacraments, and the list goes, I could list so many others. We do this through community and fellowship because we need one another. We do this by remembering and believing the promises of Almighty God, the truth, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So just like the Samaritans' judgment of the Jews, the Jews' judgment of the Samaritans, and the disciples wanting to bake the Samaritans for rejecting Jesus, we need to face and repent of our own judgments toward other people and people groups to put out the dangerous fire and the judgment in our hearts and on our lips. I'd like us to look at verses 57 through 62. The central theme of this section is follow. Verse 57 states, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you. No, no, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. I just brought back Sister Act. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> but Jesus clearly warns the man that, that, uh, what that will require. So to follow Jesus is to follow a prophet who calls people to faithfulness in God. And the priority is to turn one's attention to the arrival of God's kingdom. Because we're asked to enter into that kingdom. Following Jesus requires viewing this journey with a single focused dedication and loyalty. Unlike foxes and birds which have holes and nests, the Son of God has no home. Rejection is given and finding a home may be difficult. Jesus is preparing this potential follower for those challenging and difficult times that will come. 
verse 59 said, He said to another person, Come, follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Now this request seems reasonable since burying a family member was a priority in Judaism and it's a priority in our culture as well. It's rather shocking what Jesus says to the man in verse 60. Let the dead bury the dead. Your duty is to go on and preach the kingdom of God. This seems rather harsh, but Jesus' reply is rhetorical. In other words, it was a bit over the top Something to make us think, but to communicate a very powerful point nonetheless. It makes the point that discipleship and one's commitment to the kingdom of God take priority and complete allegiance over everything else. A similar request surfaces in this next section. Here a man wants to tell his family goodbye. Verses, Verses 61 and 62 says this, Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Hard words. Again, Jesus issues what on the surface seems like harsh and unfair warning. Those who look back are not fit for the kingdom. Doesn't this remind us of a few Old Testament stories? Lot's wife preferred Sodom and looked back. What was the consequence? She turned into a pillar of salt. She disobeyed because God made it clear to Lot and his wife not to look back. And she did just that. I think there's other stories we could look at, same principles here. But I'd like to share one more. Even though they experienced a profound deliverance from slavery and miracles in their midst, many of the Israelites longed for Egypt, complained, and had a heart of unbelief. And what was the consequence? They were not able to enter into the promised land. I hope that you see some of the connections between our readings this morning. We even see what St. Paul says in our epistle. When he talks about if you practice such things, and he lists things there, don't, listen, don't just look at one or two of those words and overemphasize them. Look at the whole lot and remember that pride's part of it. If you practice these things, you will not enter into the rule and the reign of Almighty God. He will not rule over your life. He will not be your king. You cannot enter into His kingdom where His will and His ways take place. Those who cling to life on earth and live in and long to return to the past are not ready for the transformation that the rule and the reign of God brings. Jesus saves not just to grant us a place in heaven, but to transform us here and now into a new people who are on God's mission as ambassadors for the kingdom to see heaven come to earth. Or we can say the same thing using these words. Jesus calls us to be faithful followers, disciples who are growing into his image for the sake of serving and loving others. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus wants to to make this truth very clear to us that salvation is not a road paved with ease because true spirituality and following Jesus, it takes lots of discipline. The image here of looking back while plowing is very appropriate since in Palestine the terrain is rugged. And to look back while plowing was asking to make mistakes in preparing the field. 
The task required a focused eye on what lies ahead. So discipleship demands attention to the rough road that is before us. To look back risks being knocked off course. And yet so many people live backwards. They're ineffective and they're neutralized in the present because they're stuck in the past. Frozen and immobilized to what God has in store in the now and in the near future because they long for the glory days of yesteryear. Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, we make reference to this passage quite frequently. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. And the Message Bible says it this way, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and I'm running and I'm not turning back. Jesus' directness shows just how serious he takes the call to follow him. The path to following Jesus is not a part-time job. It is a never-ending assignment and a life-changing shift in direction and priorities in our normal and everyday lives that we live. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, a passage many of us are familiar with, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Sometimes we may be asked to go and minister in places where our families may not be near. Dawn and I know about this. I share this not to look for accolades or nor to be patted on the back or for anyone to feel sorry for us. I'm not at all. I'm just being honest and sharing that we know the cost of following. Only to illustrate calling and cost. You know, we lived in London, England for five years and Kara was born there, and now we live in California for the past 14 years, and our family live in other parts of the United States, besides Dawn's uncle, who lives in Idlewild, and now my mom, who just recently moved to Sierra Vista, Arizona. But I can count on one hand for some and two hands for others the number of times her grandparents have seen Kara in the last 17 years of her life. I try not to focus on that, As you know, I'm rather sensitive, and I'm a deep feeler. It could be profoundly discouraging. But one thing I do know, that God's kingdom takes priority. And God always brings spiritual aunts and uncles and grandparents into Kara's life. And some of you have been just such people. And God always brings spiritual moms and dads, and Dawn, in my life as well. Dawn and I have missed three of our grandparents' funerals as well as other dear friends because we were on the mission field without the proper resources to return home. And once again, I'm not complaining. I'm just using this as an example of some costs of following Jesus. Do I grieve the fact that Kara does not have grandparents in her life on a regular basis? Absolutely. Does Dawn miss her mother and do I miss my parents? Absolutely. Furthermore, they are up in age and they're not going to be around too many more years. And some have terminal illnesses. Nonetheless, we still choose to listen and to follow Jesus as he leads. Though they might ask us about every other phone call, when are you moving back to this area? We face what life... Don't worry about that. That's not on our plans. We face what life brings. 
and we move forward in being obedient to Jesus. The challenge to move forward, to journey on with Jesus, comes over loud and clear in our gospel text this morning. I would like to read a section of our gospel from the Message Bible, and it says, Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. I love that. Living life with our focus in the rearview mirror will only make us crash. It can cripple or paralyze us. It could even kill us. We miss out on what God is doing now and what God is calling us to do. Let us keep our eyes and allegiance and loyalty in Jesus Christ. Growing in His image through spiritual transformation. Living under the rule and reign of God's kingdom. Serving and loving others. Sharing by our life actions and words the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Making disciples so this process is multiplied in this world. I want to close this morning and ask a question. This is not to bring any guilt or shame. Let that go. That's the enemy. Let it go. But who are we discipling? Who are we pouring our life into? If you don't know how to do that, or you might just scratch your head and go, listen, if we rely on the so-called professional clergy to do all this, we're stuck in institutionalism and we're stuck in the maintenance way of life. But if we're going to carry on in the mission of God that God's called us to and we want to live according to the Bible, we're all, I'm not pointing, I'm, not, I'm just using my fingers, okay? If we're going to live, is this better? Okay. If we're going to live according to the Bible, we're all called to be in the work of discipleship. That's what we're going to have to stand and give an account to. That's what Jesus is beckoning us to follow, to do. If you don't know how to do that, just ask. There is not anything better I'd rather do is to sit down and give you some tools to help you pour in the life of others. Who can go and do that same process? We have someone in our church who's been doing discipleship and goes all over the world and trains pastors and lay people alike, denominations on discipleship, who's written 30-something books on discipleship in our midst. We have a lot to learn from one another. Let's get on with the work of making disciples. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.